to pray. I recommend those lyrics. Uh, just keeps us focused. Hey, I brought this little thing. I meant to bring it last week uh, when I did the message on crossing the Red Sea. Um, Pastor Steve from our uh, Zion Church in Brookville uh, was going to Egypt. And so um, uh, I asked him, I gave him one of these little things, and I said, get me some sand from the pyramids. And so he did, but he also had, I gave him a second one just in case. He went to the Red Sea, and he brought me sand from the Red Sea. Moses might have stepped on this. Uh, and he said, he said, that wasn't likely. And I said, but it's more likely that he stepped on this than, say, the sand in Erie, right? So, so anyway, that's, that's what this is. If you want, There's a little shell in there. Um, but yeah, so I have sand from the Red Sea. Uh, coming in there, so hopefully there's nothing growing. Uh, we are uh, continuing our journey through uh, the experiencing God, and I'll, I'll send a note out, but if you, if you have been learning or growing in something, or you heard something, either in your small group, maybe through the workbook, uh, or Sunday morning, whatever, and you just say, boy, this has really been moving and speaking to me. I'd love to hear it, and we'd, we'd love to know how that is uh, ministering to you. Uh, how many have done that phrase with, with little kids where you say, I love you this much, right? Okay, that's very, very common. Um, I, I, or I love you to the moon and back, that kind of expression. Uh, there's actually song lyrics that uh, we dance to at our wedding reception that says, I'm going to love you till the sun doesn't shine or time stands still. I was waiting for aw, but that's okay. All right. Uh, but yet, no one can love us like God can love us. And uh, since God does God things, remember we saw last week, God does God things. He splits oceans in half. Imagine then what his love is like if he can do that kind of thing uh, his love must be uh, just beyond our imagination. He pursues a love relationship with people who constantly reject him. Uh, he still loves folks. How intense, how great is, there, is his love? If ever there was a feel-good message, this is it, <laughs> of, of the love of God. In experiencing God, the truth they want us to know says God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. And we're going to look at, uh, I mean, there's so many places we could have gone in the scriptures to look at God's love, but we're going to focus on Romans chapter 8 and actually just the last part of that chapter. But I want to give you a little bit of context of the entire letter because it, it just shows how great his love is in contrast, especially to us. And, I mean, Paul spends the first three chapters of the letter to Roman discussing how bad we are. We just utterly and completely sinful. There is no one good, no one not one. And we, we kind of get surprised at sometimes when we see that uh, there's there's evil going on in the world. Well, it's because everyone's bad. We shouldn't be shocked at that, and, and yet we are. Uh, and, and sometimes laws and, and procedures are passed where people don't seem to 
understand that for the most part we're bad. It doesn't mean no one ever does anything good, but in our core nature we are we are bad. No one does good. I think of um, the the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania decided to eliminate toll booths because we could trust everyone to pay a bill that they received for, for, for their tolls, right? No, no, there's 10 people owe tens of thousands of dollars in tolls because the state trusted them to do the right thing. Well, people don't. Uh, and so we have to understand the depth of our sin. We are not lovable. We're not. Without Christ, we are not lovable at all. And I was trying to think of an example for this, and it's a little hard for us to, to get a grasp of this because for the most part, as a community, we are anti-deer, right? It's just all they do is ruin our cars, um, and we shoot them. Uh, but, but you got to understand, when, you, when you're kind of looking a little more objectively, you look at a deer, especially a little fawn, they're cute, aren't they? They're just cute. And, and yet, again, I understand that they're a pest, and that's where some people in other communities that don't hunt, you're killing Bambi. It's like, or I'll hit it with my car. Either one, right? But, but imagine, I mean, you'll see them somewhere driving home. You will see a dead deer. Maybe it's blowing up. Maybe it's been there for a while. And it's disgusting. You wouldn't take that into your home. But folks, our sin is so bad. It's, we're, we're rotted. We're decaying. Paul says we're walking dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're, we're that bad. And yet God says, I still love you. That's pretty phenomenal. That's pretty phenomenal to understand that even though we're not very lovable and, and, and even offensive, God loves us. As Paul then goes through the book of Romans, that letter of Romans, he then says, well, what's the solution? And the short answer to, of the solution is, Wait here, Jesus. Yeah, because his sacrifice was acceptable to God to make us right with him, that we might be pure, that we might not no longer be roadkill. We might be alive and fresh. And he sees us through these Jesus-colored glasses, so to speak. He, he is the one who, uh, by grace through faith, we can be right with God. And when you think about the love of God, you think about the, the cross, God, God has wrath, God has justice, he has to account for that sin, but he also loves. And both of those concepts are beautifully illustrated at the cross. Because he, he took the payment of Christ at the cross because he loves us. And both of those seemingly contradictory attributes are met fully, completely at the cross of Christ. And so that's what Paul is explaining. And he says, look, you can't do works, can't be a good person. You can't follow the law. You just believe in Jesus. And that will justify you. That will make you right. In fact, jumping now to chapter eight, Paul, at the beginning of that chapter, says, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So if you know Jesus, 
you're, you're made brand new. You're made morally brand new. Jesus condemns sin. And, la and later, he will actually transform our mortal bodies, our physical bodies. So we're just, we're just right now, no condemnation in a, in a spiritual sense, and our flesh is in process. But he will finish that. And also in chapter 8, he goes on and says, you know, we're right now, we're groaning, we're waiting. All of creation is groaning, waiting for that work to be completed. And even the Holy Spirit groans for us in prayer. But Paul says, don't worry, now, now you are adopted and there is a future glory that's to come. Is there anything else? Has he gone through this? As Paul's writing this whole letter out, is there anything else to say? Well, he's going to have some rhetorical questions because here the apostle is going to be speechless, speechless almost, and amazed. So join me at reading Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? <laughs> what do you say? When you see the, the depth of our sin and the love of God, and you say, what do you say? It is if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of God? And this is the first list he's going to give here. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded with, as sheep to be slaughtered. What do we say to these things? What's, what things? Romans chapter 1 all the way through chapter 7 and into 8. What do we say to this? If God's our ally, these are all rhetorical questions. If God's our ally, do we care who's fighting for us, fighting against us? No. Obviously, that's the obvious answer to that. If he offered his son, what more? Now, I know it's, it's biblical, it's right to give our requests to God. But what more, do you, what, more, what more do we need? We all have a death problem. We all have a sin problem. He gave us his son. That idea of offering his son, it's the same idea of Abraham offering Isaac. Only Abraham was prevented from actually killing Isaac. But God, God designed, put together the cross. Psalm 118, I can't remember the exact verse, but it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. And we sing that. Do you know what day it's talking about? It's not talking about the day we sing that. Look at the whole context. It's talking about the crucifixion. The day when the, when, when the, when the, um, uh, the, the, the people stumbled over the stumbling stone. That's the day it's talking about. God didn't spare his son. God didn't spare angels in 2 Timothy 2.4. And the same idea of wolves don't spare the flock in Acts 20. 
He's done so much. He's certain to do much more. It is a promise. While we are reborn spiritually, that physical promise is coming as well. What else do we want? Is there anything more to be done? Then he asks, well, who is there to condemn us? Well, no one. There's no one. God justifies. He is the highest court of appeal. So if, if our conscience or Satan saying, did you see, did you see what your son, your daughter did? Did you see what they thought? He can complain all he wants. God is the, the judge, but he, he acquits those in Christ. And you know what? Probably, in fact, most likely, Satan's accusations are true. Did you see what they did? Did you see? It's been paid. The penalty's been paid. Throw that accusation out of court. The Christian owe, as Christians, we owe our standing to God's grace, period. And then, then the, the reason for that God can do that, as we said earlier, is Jesus. He died and was raised. He's not just some guy we're talking about that died for us. He's Jesus, the Son of God himself. And he was, he, Paul writes, he was put at the right hand of God, a place of honor and authority. Think when Pharaoh put Joseph at his right hand. He says, you're the guy for the, for the whole country. Uh, and so it's the same way. Jesus sits at God's right hand. And then the resurrection is important because that proves to us that God accepted the sacrifice. If Jesus didn't come out of that grave, we would never know for sure if he was accepted by God. But because he did, we know that God says, that's good, that's enough for people to be redeemed. Again, it's how God is both just and loving. And then Paul, he asks another question. Well, how could we be separated? What could separate us from the love of God? And he gives us a list. Now, this list are things that Paul himself has experienced and will experience in his life. There, there's no promise here that these bad things will be avoided. In fact, it's often more difficult for a Christian in their life. But God's love can sustain us through them. He says, do you have tribulation or, tr or distress or trouble? Doesn't change God's love, despite the circumstances. Are you persecuted? Are you suffering famine? Are you naked? Are you at danger or risk or peril? Or the sword? Now, I think he's, he's referring to an executioner. And Paul states the reality. He quotes Psalm 44, 23. He says, there's going to be struggles. We're like sheep going to the slaughter. But does that change the love of God? Does that pull us away from it? He has another list below, but he's done with these rhetorical questions because ultimately, as bad as those things might be in this life, in this short life, the short vapor of life, they're not going to matter. They're not going to pull us from God's love at all. Romans 8, 37, he continues. No, he answers his own rhetorical question. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angel, angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can circumstances, bad circumstances, is that saying God doesn't love us? No, they, they, they don't. He, he still does. We could be more than conquerors. The commentary Vincent said with this idea of victory, it's a, it's a victory which is more than victory. Through him, through love, through all situations. And as the ESV says, I am, um, I am sure, it's the idea where he says, I stand convinced. I'm absolutely sure that nothing separates us from his love. First one that leads the list, death. Death. Well, if I know Christ, death is good. Now, of course, we feel loss, right? We feel loss when we lose someone. But to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. Even though for a time we feel that loss of someone else. And I was, I was, I was thinking of this. I mean, first of all, death is our big problem. Death and sin. And he solved that. He's, I don't have to worry about it. I might worry about the pain. Is it going to hurt? But, but to go with and be with Jesus is a blessing. And, I'm, and I've been thinking, I was thinking about this with Mason because um, I've been praying for his healing. Lord, heal him and, and bring him back. That, that would be so cool for our community to see this work. That would be, that would be great. But death can't separate from his love. I, I don't know Mason personally, but boy, every, every indication is that he's a believer in Christ. And while it will hurt and there'll be loss for his family and the community, he's not separated by God's love. He's going to be in, in glory. He's going to see God as who he is. It's our big problem, but the problem is solved. And even, we don't know what's going to happen to Mason. But whether it's life or whether it's death, Paul says, God's love's still there. Even in our grief, even in our loss, even in our rejoicing, God's love is still there. Because God plays the long game, folks. It's not just for our immediate satisfaction and joy. God's not up, how can I make all my, all my people happy? He's already given us everything we need for that ultimate happiness, that ultimate joy, that ultimate reward that's going to be there. We're walking on, on gold pavement in the new heaven and new earth. All that stuff's in the future. So death, life can't separate us. Angels are rulers. And I, I'm assuming he's talking about uh, you know, good angels, non-fallen angels, wouldn't do that anyway. But even the bad ones, even the ones that fallen, even the ones that are bringing great torment in people's lives, the present or the future. You worry about the present, you worry about the future. Whatever happens... That's not going to change. God's love will not change. Powers. I think Paul's referring perhaps to governments. We worry about governments and government authority or overreach. Guess what? No matter what they can do. I was just watching a documentary on, on the Soviet uh, slaughter of Polish um, um, 
officers in World War II the, uh, in Katyn Forest. Awful, terrible, government sanctioned. Didn't separate anyone from the love of God. Not at all. Height or depth, not limited by sphere. sphere. In fact, the rest of creation cannot separate us from the love of God. While these things can, cannot separate us, we could experience his love fuller and fuller while we live through them, while we grow through them. And so for us, as we look at that, those passages, we have to say, do I believe this? Do I believe that God's love never fails through anything? Do I believe it? We know the right answer. But as we're going through those struggles or those losses, some, some believers, frankly, have become bitter. Maybe they thought God was just supposed to make everything like, you know, skipping through the field of daisies in their whole life. And then, and then one of these difficult things came up and they're going, wow, that's not the deal I wanted. Nothing in creation can separate you from him. The worst possible thing. So why is this important? Every, everything starts with a relationship with God. That's what we're learning in the Experiencing God books and the, and the videos and everything. It starts there. And so we, it's important for us not only to know him, as we've already dealt with, and know that he's powerful, but also know that he is a loving, loving God. As we grow in our, in our understanding of his love, we're going to hear him better. The more we know him. You gotta, remember, God's not some Star Wars force that's out there that's impersonal. He's a person. He's someone to know. And I'll give you an example of that. As we, you know, as we know his love, we know what he likes, we know it's a, a important to him. If I, was, if I was at the store, let's just say Walmart, and I thought, I want to get Trish a gift. Um, I could, I guess, well, what, what should I get her? I mean, there's a whole store here. I could go to the jewelry side. Trish wears some, but not, not a big jewelry person. How about if I go to the tech department? Nah. Very, very, Trish is like minimal, minimal tech person. I wouldn't like that. How about clothing? I stink at knowing what size a woman is. I just, so I'm, a, I'm not going there. You know where I'm going? I'm going to the garden section and getting her bags of mulch. <laughs> oh, honey, you're so sweet. <laughs> I know, honey, I, I bought you dirt. <laughs> How do I know that? Well, we've known each other. We've been married for 36 years. I know her. How do you know God? Just like you know another person. There's time in prayer. There's time in the word. There's time going through difficult situations, through trials, through tribulations, the, the stuff Paul's already described, and seeing him through it all. You get to know him. And you start to know what he likes. You start to know his will. He's not just this ethereal impersonal force. He's someone to know. And the more we know him, the more we're able to respond to him. 
Some people feel God's like this spiritual bank to pull upon. I need some strength, Lord. I need some wisdom for this. And he's available for that. Um, maybe we think he's a genie. Give me my wishes. And God certainly grants things. Maybe he's there in times of crisis. And I am so encouraged by all the pray for Mason signs and the, as a community is in this crisis and people rallying together. But he's there also in the other times too, beyond crisis. Maybe it's a personal family tradition. I've talked to people that attend uh, certain churches or other churches and they say, well, my grandpa went there and my dad went there and I go there. Oh, okay. Why do you go there? Well, I just told you. We just do that. Uh, some people might say, you know, I follow the Lord because it, I just want to do the right thing. Again, there's, there's value there. But let me tell you, the best reason to pursue God is God himself. The best reason to pursue him is God himself. Yes, there are multiple biblical benefits to following the Lord. But the real core of it is his very self. The other week, I, I used the term a practical deist. Remember, a deist is someone who believes that there's a great God out there, but he doesn't interact with his creation. He's just way, he's way beyond there. And there's truth to that. We call it the transcendence of God. He transcends us. He's God, we're creation. He's creator, we're creatures. So there's some truth there but he also interacts with his creation. Some believers live like, like they're deists. They don't really believe that God's going to talk to them. God's going to do things through them. God's going to call them in and be part of their, of their life. We can experience him daily. Now, we may not see the Red Sea parted, but we could see God work daily. Be assured. Paul was pretty thorough in his list. Consider his faithfulness, what he's already done. Consider how great the work of Christ is just to save us from this sin that he wrote about for three chapters and then saying, but now in Christ, there's no condemnation. Do you believe that nothing can separate you from his love? Now, let me add a little caveat to that. When Paul says nothing, he means nothing. That was profound. But you know what that also means? When I, when I think of that myself, that also means me. Because I'm included in that. And there, there are a lot of believers that are walking along in their Christian life and they think, God's, done, God's written me off. I've done some things, I've said some things. Maybe, maybe some things were done to you. And whether it's your fault or not your fault, you feel like damaged goods. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that's been done to you, there's nothing that you've done. Now, it doesn't mean God doesn't discipline. He, of course, disciplines, but he is the cleanser. He is the redeemer. 
He could take anyone and what they have done and bring them back into full fellowship with him. And his love heals. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We work, as you know, with uh, in support living in liberty. And there are both men and women who've been on the streets and they're finding that God loves them. And that they're not rejected. And even some who've fallen back as it happens a lot. Where, where they're rescued and then they fall back and they go back to the streets. And then they think, oh, well, now, now since I've, I've already kind of blown my chance, God brings them back. His love is compelling. He is indeed the hound of heaven. We call this, the big theological term we call this is eternal security. That um, no matter what we do, we can't be separated from God. Now, I do want to say, don't test that theory. How bad can, well, what? Let me try that out. Let me see how bad I can be and test God's love. I don't recommend that at all. But I can tell you, God loves you. He's given you, how do I know? Because he's given you his son. You, me, all of us, his son. There's nothing else we need. If you're looking for a God just to, to have that, again, that field of daisies where you can skip through, you're going to be disappointed for now. But there's a future. There is a future for the believer where we are made completely right again. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to not have any propensity for sin. Not even to be tempted. I can't imagine that. But that's how complete it's going to be. I would love to spend some time in prayer with you right now. And just a couple uh, things to praise. First of all, God gave us his son. Let's remember that. We know that. We've, if you've been a believer any years of time, you know that. And then also that nothing can separate from his love. But maybe there's something where this is a difficult time. And you're thinking, this might break me. And so I want to encourage you to say, even as I face you, whatever it is you're dealing with, fill in the blank, I cannot be separated from his love. Maybe just that one sentence prayer that you want to declare to all of us today. So uh, if you would pray out loud with me, anyone who would like to, um, let's spend some time doing that, and then we'll continue in our worship.
God, I have nothing I want from my old life. It was just death and destruction. And so I'm grateful for the sacrifice of Christ. It is nothing I can do. There's no goodness in me. But you are all the good that's needed. And so I trust you. I trust you for that. For, the, for uh, this example of your love. And it's going to be made clearer and clearer as we, as we respond, no matter what is going on. And I know there, uh, in this group there's probably issues of health, there are issues of safety, there are issues of, of money, there are issues of relationships that we can say, even as I face any of those issues, we cannot be separated from our, your love. Nor is it a proof or evidence of your love. And we pray in your name.
Amen. And wasn't planning this, but what's the chorus go that we just sang? Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. And has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Amen. Amen. Um, now I don't want to do announcements. <laughs> Worship team, come on up. I do. I will. I'll just give it a little reminder. Uh, please mark on your calendars November 11th as we have an opportunity on, on October 11th or 21st, we're doing something for pastors and elders about prayer uh, primarily. But on November 11th, it's a Saturday, it'll be 9 to 12, um, at the Grove City College Spiritual Formation class is going to lead us in prayer and worship. We don't have to do anything except show up and turn the lights on. And they're going to lead us in that. So please put that in your calendars. Here, here. It's not at Grove City College. They're coming here. I didn't, I didn't realize I didn't tell you that part. We don't have to go to Grove City College. They're coming here. Um, so uh, uh, look forward to them. Um, and then thank you. I noticed the gifts for living in liberty are, have overflowed our box for them. Uh, um, I don't know if they're going to do something every month. It kind of sounded like it. Lori, do you know if that, were they going to do something every month? We'll, we'll do it. We'll let you know. We'll let you know uh, for that. Um, and then, uh, again, hoping and praying it looks like I'm going to be able to do some additional work with them uh, and do presentations uh, because that's the kind of stuff I do. I stand up in front of people and talk. And so we're, uh, we're hoping they're, they're, they're kind of behind with their planning on that, but that's where that's going on too. So are we ready? I'm not going to sing again. Hello.